Well, today we're taking a break from the Marching Order series. And it's interesting, though, I believe the message God gave us, though, is still going to tie in really well with what we've been talking about. See, we're in the book of Hebrews today, and the book of Hebrews really was written for believers who are going through persecution. And that's what we've been talking about lately, isn't it? And I know sometimes when we start talking about persecution, it can be a little heavy. It can weigh heavy on our minds, can't it? Well, I think God wants to remind us today that that is how it is when we focus on the persecution. But when we focus on Jesus, all of a sudden, all of that changes because there is joy in the midst of the persecution. There's joy before, during, and after. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today is Jesus. Our passage today, we'll read it in just a minute. It comes from Hebrews 12, the first three verses. But you'll notice that the first word in the passage is, therefore, So I know all of you guys know we got to look before chapter 12 to see what has God been telling us that now he starts to address in chapter 12. Well, if you look at the book of Hebrews, what you're going to see is you're going to see this comparison, right? You're going to see a comparison between people who acted in obedience to God's will and they received rest. And you're going to see those that acted in disobedience and didn't find rest. You're also going to see a comparison between Jesus and basically everyone else. You see, God highlights in Hebrews, he says, Moses is, Moses is great, but Jesus is even greater. He talks about how angels are great, but Jesus is even greater. He talks about the high priests of the time. He says, they're great, but Jesus is the high priest. He is even greater. And so we go through all those chapters in Hebrews and we get up to chapter 11, right before what we're talking about today. And it's a very famous chapter, isn't it? Many of you guys know that chapter. It's kind of referred to as the wall of faith. It's many of our biblical heroes. If you were to sit down and you were to read a children's Bible, we read the storybook children's Bible, you open it up. Many of the stories in that children's Bible reference those biblical heroes that are found in chapter 11. They weren't perfect people, but God used them and their obedience to do an amazing, amazing work. And we get to see those stories and we get to see them as an example. But it's interesting because at the end of chapter 11, you see God tell them, he says, all of these heroes, all of these people, they are commended for their faith. And yet they did not receive what had been promised to them. Okay, let's stop for just a second. God did not break a promise, okay? That's not what he means there. When God says something, he means it and it happens. What that means there is we know that since the beginning, God had planned on sending a redeemer, a savior, right? And all of these biblical heroes that we see in chapter 11, they lived in the Old Testament. And so that means that while they were awaiting the redeemer, God had promised someone would come they passed before they got to see Jesus walking this earth. And so that promise was just not fulfilled in their time. But we live in a different time, don't we? We're very lucky. We've seen Jesus. We just worship Jesus. I think every song we sang this morning spoke to Jesus. And that's where we get a pick up in chapter 12 today where God is telling us, you have this great cloud of witnesses, all of these biblical heroes that you've seen. They're great examples. You can learn so much from them. But don't forget that there is one so much greater that deserves all of our attention. 
And that's where our focus is today. So would you stand with me out of respect for God's word as we read from Hebrews 12, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. God, we believe that it is a living word. And so I pray that it will come to life in our hearts and in our minds today. May we hear from you and choose to respond to your call. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, well, right off the bat, in verse 1, we see this idea of running a race, that this race is marked out for us, and that we are supposed to run it with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Well, what is this race? I know I've got some friends here today that just got done running a state track meet. Are we talking about that kind of race? Not exactly. We're going to be talking about running races, but this race is more the idea of the race of life. Life is believers. The journey that we are on. And I think we would all agree, wouldn't we, that if, if life was a race, it would be a marathon, wouldn't it be? Probably not a sprint, but a marathon. And so I started thinking about that a little bit. Okay, what would it be like to run a marathon? And notice I said I thought about running a marathon. I've never ran one, nor will I ever run one. And I feel pretty confident in saying that. But when I start thinking about running, I've ran enough and I've ran distance to, to get an idea of what it might look like. And a lot of times you start off on the race, you know, and, you, and you're excited, you're ready to go, you've prepared for that. And you come out of the gates with this adrenaline and this excitement and you are running hard right off the bat, aren't you? You're focused. But then you get a little bit into the race and all of a sudden you start to kind of look over your shoulder a little bit and you realize, man, I haven't gone as far as I thought I did. And you start to realize that that means I must have a long ways still to go. And at least for me, my mind starts playing tricks on me a little bit. Start to notice that the wind's blowing a little bit harder. And my back, it wasn't hurting at the beginning, but you know, now it's a little tight. All these distractions start coming in that change how I intended on running that race. But probably get through part of that race and you get to the end and all of a sudden what? You see the finish line. And all of a sudden, that same excitement, that same passion, that energy that you had at the beginning of the race starts to come back. And you want to run as hard as you can at the end of that race. You want to finish strong. You want to leave nothing left in the tank. When I think about that and running a race like that, a marathon, it's amazing to me how similar that might be to the race we run as believers in our walk with Jesus. You see, a lot of times when we give our life to Jesus, in the beginning, we are so excited. We're so passionate. We're fired up. We can't wait to run the race. We want to sprint after Jesus right in the beginning as hard as we can. But then there's different parts of our life, isn't there, where all of a sudden life starts happening. Distractions start coming in, and, and it changes how we run that race for Jesus. It changes how we run 
the race. But hopefully we go through those periods of time and we come out to the end of the race. We know maybe there's not as much time left and all of a sudden, what do we do? We start focusing again. We get really excited again and we know that all we want to do is sprint after Jesus with everything we have. We want to finish that race strong, not only for us, but we want to tell everyone we can about Jesus. So I ask you today, what what is it when we run? What determines how we run a race? Whether it's running an actual race or running the race of life, what is it that determines how we run that race? I think God's been pretty clear. It depends on what you focus on, isn't it? Think about the runner running the race. Runners have to focus on something to run their best. They might focus on their breathing. They might focus on their stride. They might focus on the finish line. They might focus on all of it at different points. But they are focused so they can run as hard as they can because that was their goal. That's what they set out to do was to run that race. All of a sudden when they're running the race and, and they start to think about their back or they start to think about the wind blowing or, or maybe they see someone in the stands along the race and they stop to wave, it changes how they run the race, doesn't it? Well, we too, we too can learn from that, right? Because we too as believers, it depends on what we focus on because that will determine on how we run the race. God just said, fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he knows it'll change how you run the race. When our eyes are focused on Jesus, nothing else matters. That idea of fixing our eyes on Jesus is literally to block out everything else so I can just focus on Jesus, just as a runner focuses on the race. That's what's important for us today. But we too as believers at different times can get distracted, can't we? Things come into play and we lose sight of Jesus. We lose our focus and we run the race differently. Let's look at it this way. I've got this backpack here, okay? And let's say that I were to fill this backpack, maybe with like, we'll say 100 pounds of weights, okay? And I were to take this backpack and I were to come up to some of you, maybe some of you runners, maybe you run a marathon, maybe you run a race, and I came up to you and I said, okay, I want you to run that race. You prepared for it, but now I want you to run that race with this backpack on. You would not like me very much, would you? Why? Because trying to run with this on your back and the weights in there would impact how you run the race. The weights in there, they would slow you down. You couldn't run as hard. Your mind would start thinking about everything that was in the backpack and why you're wearing a backpack, and you would stop thinking about your strides and your breathing. You would stop thinking about the things that you prepared for in order to run that race. Well, we too, it's the same thing for us, right? As believers, we have a backpack when we run the race sometimes, don't we? Now, it might not be actual weights in our backpack, but we have weights. And what are those weights? Weights. The Bible talks about the things that hinder us, the sin that so easily entangles us. So in our backpack, sometimes what we have is we have the sin, right? We have sin that hasn't been addressed, sin that keeps us from running the race we're supposed to. It's distractions. It's the things in our life that come in and take us away from focusing on Jesus. It might be disappointments. It might be failures. It might be doubts. The list is long. It might be possessions. It might be wealth. 
our bag is filled with all sorts of things. I don't need to tell you what those things are. I think you know what your bag is. But we try to run that race, right? And we try to run, go through life and we've got this bag and we have all of those things and it just slows us down. It weights us down and we spend more time thinking about what's in the bag than we do thinking about Jesus. That's not how it's supposed to be, is it? So what are we supposed to do with the bag? What are we supposed to do with it? Are we supposed to just open it up, rearrange some things so it feels better on our back? I don't think so. Are we supposed to just maybe sit it down so we can take a break for a second, catch my breath, and then, oh, I just pick up the bag again, and I go through life again with the bag? Nope. Nope. What does God say to do with it? He says, throw it. Throw it off. Get rid of it. It can't be around you. It can't be a distraction. And I know some of you saw me throw the backpack and you thought, well, that was a little drastic. I'm glad you noticed. But I think that if we think about Jesus and what he's done for us, I think he's went to some drastic measures to get our attention, don't you? I think he went to drastic measures to take my place on the cross, don't you? And if Jesus was willing to go to drastic measures for me, surely I can go to drastic measures for him. To remove the things that I'm carrying around, to get rid of it, to throw it off so that I can focus on him. You see, I saw some of the hands go up just a little bit ago when Pastor George asked you to raise your hand if Jesus was everything to you. And, it, and if you mean that, don't you think that relationship is worth protecting and clearing things out of the way so that relationship truly can be the most important thing in your life? Sometimes the change is subtle. Sometimes it's drastic. Might even be a little painful to get rid of that backpack. But I promise you that when you let it go and you clear it up so you can be in relationship with Jesus, because that's the idea of fixing your eyes. It's not just fixing my eyes on a picture of Jesus. That idea of fixing your eyes is truly to be in relationship with Jesus. We know that when we see something, we're drawn to it. We want to go towards it. So when we focus on Jesus, we are drawn to him in relationship. That's what's most important, isn't it? That's what matters in our life. If Jesus is the most important thing, let's talk a little bit about why Jesus. Because you see, as we move on through verse 1 and in verse 2, we see that we fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the pioneer. He is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? Well, he's the beginning of our faith. As we talked about earlier, we were promised a redeemer. That redeemer was Jesus. He was the beginning. He was the seed of faith. And now he's the perfecter of it. He has brought it to completion. Why? Because he was perfect and he was the perfect sacrifice. He paid our debt. It's over. It's done with. We can't have faith in anything else. There's nothing I can do or you can do to earn anything. No. Jesus paid our debt. He finished it. Our faith is completely and solely in him. And he's the perfect example for all of us to follow. We just got done talking about Hebrews 11, talking about that great cloud of witnesses for us to follow. But when Jesus is the perfecter of our faith, that means he is the perfect example for you and me. 
He is the one that we should be looking at and modeling our lives after. Now moving on, and, and we finish up into, into verse 2. And we're going to spend pretty much all of our time in these verses here. But when we look at verse 2, we see moving on that it's for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he, what? he sat down on the throne of God at the right hand of God. Just amazing. I got to be honest with you, as I've been preparing for this, this verse has now become one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's just amazing to me how it came to life. But when we think about Jesus enduring the cross, it's really important for us to look at that word endure. You see, it's not a passive word. It's not a word where you just sit back and kind of let it come to you. No, it's, it's an active word. It's a strong word. And when we look at endure and we look at its original meaning in Greek, what we see is it was actually a military term. It was a military term that meant to take a stand, to take a stand no matter the cost. So think about that in the context of this. Jesus, Jesus went to the cross because he chose to take a stand. He chose to take a stand knowing the cost. If you think about it in military terms, the cost a lot of times is life, isn't it? It's the same thing for Jesus. He would have known. He knew the cross was coming, but he chose to take a stand. What did he take a stand for? He took a stand for the will of the Father. He took a stand in obedience. Because of that relationship he had with the Father, he wanted to take a stand no matter what. He was going to end up on that cross no matter what because he wanted to stand for truth and he wanted to stand for life. Now when we look a little bit closer, we see right before that that it is for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross. Now, I'm not going to begin to try to explain all of the reasons for joy. I'm not God, and I look forward to the day that he gets to tell us all of the things that were on his mind, all the things that brought him joy in taking that stand. But I do think there's a few things, a few things that we can talk about today, and it's this. The idea of the joy being set before him, those were things that were on his mind, things he was thinking about, the things that caused him to experience joy that said, I'm willing to take a stand. I'm willing to go to that cross. The first one is this. Look at the end of verse 2. What does it say? It just said that Jesus sat down on the throne at the right hand of God. Can you imagine what that was like for a minute? You may even have to close your eyes. I, I don't know. I had to a little bit. But think about that. Jesus, God, steps down out of heaven. He comes to earth. He fulfills his purpose and his mission. And we know what he went through. The pain and the heartache and the persecution. And here, Jesus is coming home. Can you imagine the celebration that probably was taking place in heaven? I can only imagine the angels just waiting in anticipation looking down, trying to find Jesus. Is that him? Is that him? No, where, where's he at? He's coming back. I know he's coming back. Where's he at? And they had to be so excited, just waiting for Jesus' return. Can't you see the Father just standing there with arms open, waiting to embrace with Jesus, to have that relationship brought back so he could be there with the Father in the rightful place for all of eternity. I promise you, there was joy in that relationship, there was joy that Jesus experienced. And that's why 
He endured the cross. I also think about this. We know that uh, Jesus going to the cross, he conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered the enemy, right? Have any of you guys ever conquered anything? Has there ever been anything in your life that you felt like was such a great obstacle that you would say when you overcame it, you conquered it? I would say this, anything that you've ever conquered in your life, I'm guessing it brought you great joy. When you overcame that obstacle, whatever it was, and the same thing for Jesus, when he overcame the enemy, there was joy. There was joy for Jesus in that. And there's this. When Jesus died and he rose and he conquered sin and he conquered death and he conquered the enemy, what did he do? What did he do? He opened up a path of relationship for you and me. That's what he did. He opened up the door because he desired a relationship so much with you and me that he went to the cross. He opened that avenue that we can have a relationship with him not only today, but for all of eternity. And just, just the idea of that joy that he was going to get from the relationship with each of you, that joy made him take a stand, knowing that it would cost him his life. But it was because of the joy, the joy that he wanted and desired with each of you in a relationship. I hope you guys know how much God loves you this morning. I do. I hope all of you in this room and those of you online, I hope you know that Jesus loves you. The relationship he has with you brings him great joy. And for those of you that maybe haven't made that decision to follow Jesus yet, the anticipation, the desire of a relationship with you brings him great joy. Now we see in verse 3, and it closes out in the passage today, where Jesus, we should consider him. Why? Because he faced opposition from sinners. And when we think about him, we won't go weary and we won't lose heart. You see, Jesus too, he faced persecution, didn't he? And when we think about him facing persecution, but he faced that persecution because of the joy that he found in the relationship with the Father and you and me, and we think about that joy, it changes how we view persecution. It views how we change our views and live our life, doesn't it? So I guess we got to ask ourselves some questions today, don't we? If you haven't given your life to Jesus, you're going to have the opportunity to do so. But for just a moment, hold tight. I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to talk to you in just a minute. But right now for us, those of us that would call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we are believers, I think we have a decision to make. I think God's asking us a question here this morning. We see that Jesus endured the cross for the joy of the relationship with us. You remember back a couple weeks ago, there was a verse on the screen, and it was from Matthew 10, 22. And what did it say? It talked about how the whole world is going to hate us because we are his followers. These are Jesus' words. But those that endure until the end, those that endure until the end will be saved. I think the question is this. We know Jesus endured for the joy of the relationship we have with him. If we are going to endure, that means we're going to take a stand. 
We're going to take a stand no matter the cost. Are you willing to do that today for the joy of the relationship with Jesus? Do you experience joy in the relationship with Jesus? And if so, is that going to cause you to take a stand for him? It's a big question, isn't it? It's a big question. But I hope the answer is yes, that you want to. I saw the hands raised this morning. But let's not forget what we've talked about, that if we are going to take that stand no matter the cost, we have to be focusing in the right place, don't we? We can't get distracted. We can't be seeing all the things around us. No, we have to be laser focused on Jesus. And so what is it today? If you're willing to take that stand for Jesus, if you're going to stand up for him, for the joy of that relationship, if you want to run after him, if you want to run the race of life, that he's set before you, it's going to take you throwing off that backpack. So what are those distractions? What is that sin? What are those things that you've been carrying around that you have to let go of so that you can run that race without being hindered? That's what it's about. Jesus loves you and he wants you to run that race and he wants you to run it well. He loves you. Now for those of you who haven't given your life to Jesus. You might be sitting there and you might be online. You might be in this room today and you might be going, okay, Justin, you're telling me if I give my life to Jesus, I'm going to face persecution. Yes, you will. And it's a fair question. It probably weighs heavy on you this morning. But I, I, I want to say this. Can we just not make the persecution a distraction for you in focusing on Jesus today? And here's what I mean by that. Have you asked yourself the question, why are you here this morning? Why are you online? If you're not a believer in Jesus yet, why are you here? I'm glad you are. I want you to know I and many others have been praying for you. We're glad you're here. But I think it's this reason. I think you're searching for something. You are searching and seeking. See, God has put something in our heart that can only be filled by him. But sometimes we look for other places to fill it, don't we? We go to the world. We think the world can help us. So maybe for you, you went that route. You, you thought the world was going to give you joy, but you barely got a moment of happiness. You thought the world promised you peace, but there's not a lot of it around, is there? The world told you you could put your hope in the world, but... Man, last time I turned on the news, there's not a lot of hope. You looked for that unconditional love, but all you found was broken relationship after broken relationship. The world has probably left you empty. And when you are empty, even the thought of persecution, it's just overwhelming. I get it. But I want to encourage you today because if you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to give your life to Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you begin to walk that relationship, run after Jesus and build that relationship, spend time with him, all of a sudden you get to experience, you are filled with that joy, that hope, that peace, that unconditional love that can't be found anywhere else. And when you are filled with that and you get to experience that joy, I promise you, you will do anything for that relationship, even if it means persecution. 
But today, today we all have a choice, don't we? As believers, we can choose to focus in on Jesus more. If you haven't given your life, you have the opportunity to give your life to Jesus here today. But we look at Hebrews 4, 7, and it quotes Psalm 95, and it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God's given us today as a gift. I can't promise you tomorrow. None of us know what tomorrow holds. So today is the day you can make that decision to focus on Jesus, to choose to give your life to Jesus. I believe God's been talking to us this morning. I know I've heard it. I hope you have too. And I hope that you choose to respond to what God is laying on your heart. 